Pete, we have both been on the record saying that math is the worst. Would you agree oh, with that? Yes, absolutely. You in particular talked in one past episode about your anxiety with learning mathematics as a kid, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Researchers at Utrecht University and the University of Amsterdam have a tip that can help you if you ever find a time machine and can go back <laughs> as a child and relearn mathematics. Okay, instead, this will be for all parents listening to the podcast. Here we go. Okay, first of all, none of this is going to matter because you just made up a university and, as far as I know, a country. Yeah, <laughs> I did say because it's the first time I'm trying to pronounce it. It's U-T-R-E-C-H-T. I'm pretty sure that's university. Okay. Uh, With all due respect to the students and faculty. Oh, 100%. This university. You guys are, yeah, oh, you yeah. guys, uh, You're the best. let's hear it for the <laughs> shadow monsters or whatever their mascot is. Here we go. Researchers examined 212 children in grades four to six. That's about nine to 13 years old mm-hmm. from schools and middle class communities in the Netherlands. And they had the children engage in positive self affirmations to boost their confidence and lower their anxiety about math tests. No breakthrough here, of course. People have been visualizing success forever. Here's the new idea, Pete. Hmm. Their mathematical performance was greatly improved when the self-encouragement focused not on ability. For example, I am very good at this, but instead focused on effort. For example, I will do my very best. The benefits of this type of self-talk when it uh, talked about effort were especially pronounced among children who had low self-esteem about their math competence. So, the study did not offer any elucidation on why this might be, but would you like to theorize, Pete? Why, uh, that uh, when you are focusing on effort and not ability, that there's a big difference? Um, uh, yes, I would love to theorize about this. Is it because, Tom, is it because uh, you are not focused on outcomes, but focused on what you can control immediately in front of you? I love that. I don't, again, I do not have an answer. Oh, <laughs> I stu- thought this was a test. No, and- the study, <laughs> as I said, the study did not offer elucidation. They just said, hey, this is true now. Goodbye, signed Amsterdam. Oh. So, uh, but I think what you're saying is exactly right. One of those areas is in your control, the effort. And one isn't huh. your actual ability at the time, which I think makes a lot of sense. And I think that's something that even though most of our listeners are hopefully not age nine to 13, or except for Cole, maybe that um, <laughs> shout out to Cole, uh, that maybe that's something that we can all remember that we don't have to say, I'm going to crush this, but instead I'm going to do the very best that I can. Maybe that weirdly takes a little bit of pressure off you and just reminds you to try as hard as you can. And it totally explains why our show is so terrible. Wrong (laughs) self-talk. Right. Well, actually, now that you brought that up, using this new information, I'd like your permission, Pete, to speak on both of our behalf to our listeners. Oh, please. Okay. Hey, everybody. Thanks for downloading. Look, Pete and I can't guarantee we're going to do a great episode today. We can't even guarantee we won't knock our computers off of our respective desks or accidentally drop our microphones in our respective bowls of soup. But we can say we will do our absolute best. And may God have mercy on our souls. Still think of you, I want you coming back. I remember when Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz the third. 
And every week, we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Don't forget, head over to whatsthatsmell.net slash merch and pick up your Universal Truth What's That Smell hoodie, sticker, mug, t-shirt, logo, sticker, did a I say sticker? Aforementioned bowl of soup. You should definitely pick up your branded bowl of soup from What's That Smell. <laughs> the uh, answers the question, uh, keep calm and carry on. There is no calm. There is no calm. <laughs> and with that, I'll go first. Tom. Hello. You may not know this about me, but I'm a man that favors a shortcut. What? If there if yeah, if there is a better, easier way to accomplish any given task, particularly a repetitive task, I'm going to try to work that method into my life. Got it. Sure. Mm-hmm. I spend my whole day working with technology, and thankfully, there are all kinds of ways to make my workaday processes easier with shortcuts and scripts and little apps and things to send this thing to that thing and make it do a thing. Sure. And I'm, you know, I'm not a what I a shortcut master by any uh, stretch, but I do use a lot of these. What do you? Where do you stand on on taking the shorter path in your life? Do you have processes that help you do more with less? I do, but I really have to. No, I don't. I mean, when I when <laughs> I really came at it from the the wrong side, I'm realizing uh, as I was about to say, I do. When I do adopt a shortcut, it's great and it changes everything. Yeah, but it's hard for me. I don't look for shortcuts, and so sometimes I am amazed to find myself, I've been doing it that way the whole time, <laughs> meaning the long <laughs> way around. Uh, I think yeah. I'm just sort of more of a creature of habit, unfortunately, but I love the idea of a shortcut. Well, me too, sort of. Uh, this week, in, in fact, uh, I did two podcasts for members uh, in our membership community over at the ADHD podcast, and it mm. got me thinking. And the first one was on email productivity, and I dove briefly into a tool called Zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R, and it is it is apparently pronounced Zapier. Hmm. Because Zapier makes you happier is what they say internally. Oh, well, that's regrettable. Have, have you ever <laughs> have you ever heard of this? No, but this sounds like. Would you maybe have brought this up during our <laughs> Mac episode? Yeah, possibly I did. And actually, I'd forgotten I wrote this uh, this little part late last night, like in the middle of the night when oh. this struck me. And in my notes, it says, uh, uh, "Tom, have you heard of Zapier?" And in parentheses, it says, "Undoubtedly, he has not." <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can always here's a shortcut for the rest of the podcast. Yeah. Tom, right. you haven't heard of this <laughs> instead of the hypothetical question where yeah. the answer will be no. Yeah. Exactly. Uh Zapier, I, I probably brought it up. It's a tool that allows you to tie web services together, like constantly searching Twitter for hashtag anxiety rules and add mm. it to a line in a Google Sheet with a link back to the toot, and then send you an email through Gmail letting you know. And but believe me, that sheet is empty. Uh, there, there are many services in the Zapier catalog, like 1500 different web services. And so it's a very popular service and it's really great. And I have a bunch of stuff. It's always running all the time to help my business and my life and do things that I don't like doing. 
And then the second podcast I did this week was actually a video screencast of how I make an episode of a podcast. And so it was all about all the services and apps that I use from editing the show to yeah. publishing it, producing it, doing chapters and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so there's always this, there's always another shortcut. Okay. Thankfully for a guy like me, right? Mm. A guy who spent his life looking for faster ways to do things with less effort. Yep. Uh, thankfully, the early 2000s brought us the truly Anthropocene era of the life hack. Ah, right. That's the thing. Sometimes I see those on Reddit and I'm like, oh, no. Exactly right, Tom. Oh, no. You've been doing it wrong. And that is, I think, my anxiety right now. Oh. Right? When... Or after decades of cultivating shortcuts, did the life hack era start to make me feel bad? Right? <laughs> because it's just pointing out how you've been doing things yes. long cut. <laughs> how you've been taking long cuts your entire life. Exactly. And I think before the era of the life hack, right, there was no like scorecard. And now there's a scorecard, and I think it's generally called Pinterest. <laughs> but <laughs> yep. Pinterest has made my life so much worse around life hacks. So I kind of invented um, a, a an anxiety. Are you ready? <laughs> invented it. Absolutely. I don't know if I invented it. If a life hack is something that gives us a, a convenience, if there is a fear of being left behind when others have out shortcut you, you might be prone to call it super conveniophobia. <laughs> <laughs> You've been out convenienced and you're terrified of being left behind. Oh, Yikes. wow. What do you think? I love it. That Add is it especially canon, everybody. <laughs> I would think that that really would resonate for people that work in offices too. Yeah. Because there's always sort of. I I imagine more of like a constant like low level competition oh, yeah. between other yeah. people in your area. But you know what's funny about that? Like when done right, like life hacks have this way of presenting you with this concept that is really special and it's immediate to implement and it gives you a market improvement for a challenging or mundane task. And so, yes, I agree with you in the office, but when you search for life hacks, most of the the things that come up, like the best life hacks are not office Like, right. for example, you have a right. case, a 12-pack of beer cans, and you want to put it in the fridge the right way, and it's in a cardboard box. Do you know how to do this? Uh, open the door. There's a life hack for that, Tom. You don't you have to do open the door? By opening the door. <laughs> oh. You do. But I had never actually seen this until I saw the life hack of it. The guy, he opens one end of it. He puts the little lip of it in on the shelf and then opens the back end of the cardboard box and just pushes all of the cans in onto the shelf he doesn't take them out one at a time like a oh. savage he just he does it in half a second and that's that is a perfect huh. life hack you want to chill a glass of wine you're a big wine snob right yeah so you want to chill a glass of white wine that you just got from the store and you didn't manage to smash against a brick wall on your way home uh <laughs> there is a great way to do that you drop like people will put ice cubes in their wine, which is yeah, because it gets all diluted. I know. Right? You don't want that. Put a batch of grapes in your freezer. And when you get the warm white wine, you put frozen grapes in the glass and it will chill your glass of wine without diluting the flavor. Because grapes are wine, people. Oh, my God. That might be the most valuable thing we've ever <laughs> recorded in all four seasons of this dumb podcast. <laughs> Part of me wanted to hang up my mic and just go out and get grapes. That's incredible. 
<laughs> but that's this, so smart. That makes sense. Yes. It does make sense. And this is the benefit of the life hack. How about how do you clean your disgusting, disgusting keyboard? You have crumbs and stuff Ugh. in it because you eat like a Neanderthal. Yep. You use a soup sticky all note, over of it. Of course. <laughs> you turn it off and you just rub the sticky part of a sticky note over your keyboard. It picks up all that debris. Now, oh. I don't know, it doesn't sanitize it, but it will pick up the debris and you won't get the crumbs. You get, get rid of the crumbs. That's handy, right? How about putting a when you're painting? You got a painting project, you put a, uh, you open the can. And you put your paintbrush in the in the can, and then you have to wipe the the excess off of the paintbrush. Yeah, yeah. put do? a rubber band around the vertical axis of the paint can, so it's it's like bisecting the open end of the paint can. Can oh. you visualize that? Yeah, and then you use that to scrape off the paint. It goes right back into the paint, and the rim of the paint can doesn't get ah, off. Life hack, right? I know, life hacks. So this is the thing with life hacks. They do make me feel stupid. (laughs) Is that what you're getting to? Because I'm feeling this way now. I feel a momentary burst of admiration for whoever figured it out, and then a deepening sense of shame for myself. Oh, that's exactly how it happened. And when life hacks first came out, there was a, a website that was founded by the just a a brilliant woman named Gina Trapani and I'm I'm a huge fan of her work. She's a nerd and she does she's a coder and she's in all the best ways. And she founded this site, lifehacker.com, and it was acquired uh, by Univision of all places. And it's oh. still going strong, but the life hacks have changed their tone. And you can kind of get a sense of that when you also then turn around and search for the worst life hacks. Ever. In fact, there are some terrible, terrible life hacks out there that are not only just bad ideas that don't help you. They're dangerous. They're straight up dangerous to you and and silly. Like, here's one. Yeah, Um, it it seems genuine. You are in a movie and you want to keep your popcorn close to you. So you turn your hoodie around and eat it out of your hood of your hoodie. So it all seems great that it's right by your mouth. I guess you can eat it like a horse eats. Yeah. Like you just, it's sort of the popcorn just, feedback. Just a feedback. But then what happens yeah. when you're done and you have to put your hood up, then right. you get popcorn crumbs all over you. Uh-huh. Uh, here's one that really caused me some trouble. When you don't have uh, breath mints for your guests at a party, don't worry about it. You've put toothpaste in your freezer and you slice the toothpaste oh, and make toothpaste breath mints. That's happening. That's a terrible. Do you see what's going on with it? Like these are no longer uh, like life. It's like we've run out of fuel for life hacks. And right. there's this wonderful uh, article, uh, The Decade the Life Hack Died, oh. uh, where we came up with these like the vacuum powered ponytail. Have you seen this one? <laughs> no. Okay. So it started with a dad whose little girl wanted a ponytail and he didn't know how to put a person's hair in a ponytail. And so he got the vacuum hose on his vacuum Mm -hmm. and he sucked all, he put the, the ponytail rubber band around the nozzle and then he sucks all the hair into the vacuum cleaner and then slides the rubber band off the nozzle and onto the hair and then pulls the, the vacuum away and it works great. Oh, it worked fine on the video. (laughs) <laughs> and it blew up. And then they tried to do it on this. There's this wonderful Today Show uh, clip where this uh, a dad, a life hacks dad, comes on and he tries to put one of the co-anchors hair into a ponytail. And she ends up crying no. because it hurts so bad. <laughs> <laughs> He's vacuuming her hair up. 
Okay. So what started with like these fantastic like things that actually help you get your get your life better uh, actually sort of turn on us. And uh, I think uh, Adam Pash, who was a former editor in chief of Lifehacker, he says, I really think at its best, it was about feeling like someone handed you the keys to a slightly uh, or rarely significantly improved life over and over mm. again. Yeah. Uh, but but that the appeal of the life ha- life hack and the anxiety inducing idea that you're currently, quote, doing it wrong, whatever normal activity it might be. Mm. Now, here's the thing. This is where it gets, it cuts to right into your soft, soft heart. No. And because you and I, we, we came of age in the same time period. Yeah. Peggy Wang was the uh, founding Mm. editor of BuzzFeed. Oh. And she says this about the life hacks. People, i.e. Pete and Tom, who came of age in the 90s and aughts, didn't take home at class. We had parents who worked two jobs and weren't around a lot. Yeah. In lieu of traditional knowledge sources, we had to turn to the internet for answers. We aren't equipped with basic living skills and hey. have to learn from strangers how to do simple as well as highly complex tasks. This offers an opportunity to rewrite how things are supposed to be done. Oh, it's like when we talked about millennials in a past episode that they're finding better ways that we're you can look at them as complaining or you could say, hey, you know what? They're right. (laughs) right. (laughs) The way that we're doing this is dumb. (laughs) That's right. So what started then as like clear nail polish on snagged pantyhose and tights and how to load the case of soda in the fridge. Then Pinterest comes and we've already, I think we've already rewritten everything out of Uh. we've rewritten it all. And then we get you know, vacuuming hair and the the Starbucks secret menu. That's one that comes up a lot in terms of life hacks. Are you familiar with the Starbucks secret menu? I am not. Oh, this was huge. It's a it's a it's the the mysterious secret menu at Starbucks. And if you know the right words to use when you walk up to your barista, you can get things like the thin mint frappuccino and like you could just make, really what oh. you're doing is making things harder for the barista, right? <laughs> because then they have to figure out how to charge you for it. And so, but it's apparently <laughs> these recipes that they test at Starbucks that sometimes make the secret menu, and um, it, it turns out you're just making life worse for everybody. Just order a <laughs> okay. stupid latte, would you please? And ask for a stupid latte yeah (laughs) that's a part of the secret menu they just pour it in a shoe right (laughs) so the the i think the peak uh life hack when that we demonstrates we've totally run out of things is the the uh home craft like science experiment life hack that where these channels that used to be like oh my god um let's do a let's show you how to uh clean your keyboard are like well I don't know what else to do. So here's the thing. Why don't you put an egg in vinegar, wait a day, and then put that same egg in maple syrup for a day and then in water for a day. And eventually you have an egg that is bigger than the original egg and it bounces and you've dyed it blue. And that's the extent of the life hack. You have, quote, (laughs) rendered an egg inedible and it's oh. actually not even that entertaining so it, that is the the instagramification of w- these little home tricks that you can do that are no longer useful to anybody and you still kind of feel bad about yourself because you're not doing the egg thing right now so part of the anxiety is that we've run out of things 
It's a life yeah, act. Right. And we're right. just putting up nonsense. Got it. Okay. Exactly. So uh, the, the worst part of these life hacks is that they're presented in this way that allow you to examine your own process in a way that's wrong, useless, slow, not competitive. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, these these newest services like Zapier and Buffer and Treo and Flow from Microsoft and Integramat and uh, Automate and Mercado uh, and if, no! You you know where I found these names? Uh, where? I set up an inner reader filter to search Duh. for alternatives to Zapier, and the list was apropos Tom of our conversation last week. Thus, twenty seven best Zapier alternatives, eighteen alternatives to Zapier, top twelve oh, Zapier no. alternatives, ten best Zapier alternatives, seven uh. best Zapier alternatives, <laughs> top five top. Freeze up your alternatives. Which one will you, all caps, choose? Mm. And, of course, the Quora with the noncommittal, hey, what are some open source alternatives to Zapier? <laughs> yeah, can we talk about Quora for just a really quick second? Sure. Through all of my research for every single anxiety, I always at one point end up on Quora, and then I want to ask Quora, why do you exist? <laughs> You're not helpful, ever. <laughs> Quora is the weirdest service because it so wants you to be a part of it yeah. that it it's one of those services that says you can look at me for three seconds and then you have to sign up or I'll give you the first 26 right. words of this answer and then you have to sign and up. And the worst part is you sign up and it's 27 words. And yeah. the last one is the last one is maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to derail, but yes. No, you're good. It's Wild West out there, man. Uh, yeah. the, the the thing that I, I want to get, get to is uh, around automation anxiety. Now, when we talk about automation anxiety, um, the, it, generally we're talking about global automation, right? The, this idea that robots are taking our jobs. Yes. Mm-hmm. So manufacturing automation, those sorts of things. And mm -hmm. according to the Pew Center in a 2017 study, 72% of Americans said that they are worried about the impact of automation on jobs. Now, Robert Lightan at Brookings says that's poppycock. Savings from automation goes back into the economy, makes more jobs for everyone. It's all great. Shouldn't that be the same thing for automation at my desk? Hmm. Right. That I should find a new way of doing one thing faster and then suddenly have more time to do other more creative stuff. Right. Stuff that I'm maybe better at or that I'm uh, that I'm my clients count on me to do. But the thing is, the thing I just automated might have been hard for me. Right. As a human. And if a computer can do that thing easily, why should I do anything at all? Oh. Just let the computers figure it out. Right. Oh, no. I'm going to go back to bed. And <laughs> that's where this irrational anxiety comes in. That's the heart of super phobia. And that's the thing that gets my heart beating in my throat. What do you think? Well, what's a way that then we can appreciate we cannot have shame over life hacks, not have anxiety over the fact that we've been doing it wrong and still appreciate sort of these things that have been given to us. Oh, that's really, yeah, that's good, Tom. This is the long cut, right? Oh, right. Instead of the shortcut. That's really good. So uh, I should, do uh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to start handwriting in chalk to oh. people. It's just <laughs> to people. So, yeah. Like, oh, so you're going real emailing. analog. I, I think really, it. I think this is the, what's that smell? Analog long cut. Uh, survival kit for those who feel like their shortcuts are out of control right. we're just gonna send you uh some pressed like recently dried pulp as paper and we're gonna send you some some 
uh, abrasive abrasive stones like uh, some pumice and <laughs> oh, not emotionally <laughs> abrasive. Yeah, no, I mean uh, really like uh, uh, just some real analog stuff. And then you can be like a cave person. You can go out and you can, but it is branded, of course, of course. <laughs> Yeah, everything is what's that smell on it. Yeah, um, but it is going to help you get in touch with your uh, inner cave person, and That's you can take right. the long way around. Because then you take the long the way. way around. That will help you uh, mm-hmm. really like the life hack and yep. appreciate what you've been given. I I mentioned soup beforehand because I'm always eating soup every time. <laughs> I'm now before we uh, record, I'm going to heat up my bowl of soup one match at a time. <laughs> And it's going to take hours. <laughs> I'm going to do it in a giant stone sort of, cr- like, just a crack that I found in some stones outside yeah. my house. Like oh. the cave people did. Oh, we we really work understand to history. <laughs> this year in anxiety, Tom. Mm. The year is 1980. Oh. Mm-hmm. The year is 1980, and the place is Colorado Springs, Colorado. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. As you may or may not know, I spent the formative years of my life in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and uh, in particular, I found myself in the Rock Rimmon area of Colorado Springs, Colorado. What was notable about the Rock Rimmon area of Colorado and entirely uh, sort of up and down the front range of the uh, Rocky Mountains there is that uh, history had played a a very important part in Hmm. the development of the place. From the Colorado Springs Country Club northwest up to Rock Rimmon, the entire landscape had been mined heavily for a solid 150 years, right? From the 1800s to the 1950s. It was just, it was like an ants maze of mines. And there there were no reclamation laws on the books in the 1950s. And so when they stopped mining, they literally, Tom, they just stopped mining. And so... Oh, yeah. And just left it there? They just left it there. So uh, for 20 years, they started seeing these incredible issues with the mines. I remember one quite specifically. I walked out of my front door in uh, 1980 to go to school, and uh, right there across the street, there are fire trucks and people and cars and everybody is there, and the door opened, and the the house across the street, uh, my neighbor had gotten ready for work, and he opened his internal interior garage door, and his garage had fallen 150 feet into the earth. What? And both his cars had been subsumed by the earth. Yes. Oh my God. Did he do that thing when you forget where you park and he just kept like walking around, <laughs> assuming like maybe it's over here? <laughs> so, like a sinkhole? Right. Yes, it was a sinkhole. Oh. And so, if you were, were a homeowner in the North Colorado Springs, Rock Ribbon area in the 1980s, your property value did like the cars. It oh, was a real man. struggle. And that was tough to swallow. We were lucky we managed to get out and move to a different part of town, but it was tough. And so, all of this came flooding back to me this week when I received this. This from a dear friend uh, in Pittsburgh. No, no. (laughs) That's right. Pittsburgh is dealing with their own sinkhole problem right now, and it's swallowing buses, people. Uh, Pete just sent me a picture of a bus half in and half out. It's kind of adorable. (laughs) 
kind of. It's so adorable, in fact, that it has become uh, its own internet meme. Okay. Uh, there are hats. Uh, there was one fellow who, an enterprising fellow, who created a, um, uh, a Halloween costume out of it and <laughs> tur- and just put it. He was walking around with like these little knees sticking out of this cockeyed bus. And then when he wanted to really bury himself in the part, all he had to do was squat. And it lo- it's his costume looked like the bus sticking half out of the air. It's just brilliant. Uh, and there are donuts named Pittsburgh Sinkhole now. I mean, it's just uh, grim. Apparently, this is not the only time that this has happened uh, right now. This is something that Pittsburgh is dealing with. Uh, uh, the Man. entire mall parking lots are sinking. Uh, it's, it is it is a significant thing. So as one who knows, as one who has been there, you'll get through it, Pittsburgh, but it ain't going to be pretty. Oof. Okay, everybody, after you've crawled out of your sinkhole, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Over 3 million thousand titles to choose from for all your rectangles. Hey, uh, Pete, do you have any idea for a book this week? Tom, I do. I have a book related to my own anxiety. It is called Life Hacks, 163 Insider Tricks Experts Use to Manage Day-to-Day Life by Sarah Goldberg. Ah. It's only 43 minutes, and at 43 minutes, by 163 Life Hacks, that's 15.8 seconds per Life Hack. What? How is that possible? Did she just take out all the punctuation? I think she might have done that. Anyway, uh, it's it's one thing that you could get, or you could get any book you want. And that's the real gift of Audible. Any book you want. And as a subscriber, you get one book per month, every single month, mm. that you can keep forever. Not That's not even to mention the beautiful and wonderful Audible originals that they're producing that are just included. You get two of those a month. And all of the mindfulness work that uh, Audible is doing. You want some meditations? They're in there, too. You get lots of stuff. Perfect. At- Audible. It's the life hack, Tom, that doesn't make you feel bad. That's right. We can finally read without eyes. Okay, so go to audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Support the show. Support America. Support the world. (laughs) That got away from me. And now we're moving on. Pete, yet another patented Tom Metz, probably not correct, history lesson. Are you ready? (laughs) Outstanding. In 1927, Charles A. Lindbergh made the first ever nonstop transatlantic flight in his plane, the Spirit of St. Louis. He weathered many hardships during the 34-hour flight and later recounted one particularly weird and memorable experience. He recounted, It was as though I existed independently of time and matter. I felt myself departing from my body, extending through the fuselage as though no frame or fabric walls were there, angling upward, outward, until I reformed in an awareness far distant from the human form I left in a fast-flying transatlantic plane. But I remained connected to my body through a long-extended strand, a strand so tenuous that it could have been severed by a breath." All right, Pete. So number one, what have we learned? I can't do accents. Wow. (laughs) That accent changed four different times. (laughs) And I have no idea what Lindbergh even sounds like. So I shouldn't have bothered. (laughs) Number two, Pete, what the hell was Lucky Lindy talking about? Well, I have something that might help shed some light on it. Pete, I have this week's listener submission. Outstanding. Standing. It's an old-timey one. It is not. Here we oh. go. Well, actually, it is, because it's in. It, it actually goes back to ancient times. So that's old-timey for you, and I will not do an accent for the rest of this episode. <laughs> Here we go. Dear sirs, 
I wonder if anyone has spoken to you regarding the anxieties associated with astral projection. Ooh, Pete, this is a good one. I was 16 when I first became interested in astral projection, and after a few attempts was told by a metaphysical elder that I needed to practice sitting in the dark so I would become completely at peace with it. Because when you astrally project and are even a little bit afraid, the darkness of the universe, I'm paraphrasing, will basically smell your fear, pursue you, intensify it, and if you become too fearful, you could snap your own silver cord connecting your astral self to your ethereal self, and you'd more or less be in a coma the rest of your life, unable to get back to your body. I imagined my mother trying to wake me up, totally unaware my astral self was in the room watching her helpless. So, um, yes, some anxiety about that. Your thoughts? Yours in neuroticism, not so astral Annie. Wow, this is a doozy for episode 410, Pete. A lot to unpack here. Um, I am not, was not aware of most of these things, and now I'm extremely aware of a lot of it. And I was wondering if we could talk about it because, number one, not so astral Annie, even though some of our listeners might not have a lot of connection to uh, astral projection anxiety, you are not alone. The amount of websites that I found talking about anxiety for astral projection was astounding. Okay. Really? Yes. So here we go. First, I want to fumble my way through this so we are all on the same page. Astral projection. Oh, and disclaimer, I'm going to get all this wrong. Astral projection is an intentional OBE or out-of-body experience where your consciousness is able to leave your body and sail around the universe. This can be conceivably done through types of meditation, hypnosis, use of hallucinogens, and or certain sound frequencies. Now, I say conceivably because that old grouch science has found no evidence that astral travel or projection is a thing, instead saying the research is anecdotal at best and blaming it on imagination, vivid dreaming, or even madness. But of course, let's put science aside for now, because this was submitted to us and we want to take it as seriously as we can. The silver cord that Annie mentioned is our spirit body's lifeline to our physical body in the same way that our umbilical cord is our lifeline to our mother's body during the birth process. People who have gone through near-death experiences, or NDEs, have described seeing a smooth, long, elastic cable made of light sparkling like tinsel on a Christmas tree. This is what Lucky Lindbergh was describing. It's usually attached to the forehead or chest. As your astral body moves farther away from your physical body, the silver cord gets thinner and stretched more tightly, and if it breaks, you are unable to rejoin your physical body. Some practitioners say that the silver cord is even mentioned in the Bible itself. May I give a quick reading, Peep? Do do you need chanting in the background? I do not. Ecclesiastes (laughs) 12, 6 through 7. Remember him before the silver cord is severed. Or the golden bowl is broken before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well, da-da-da, Bible stuff, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Again, it started with remember him before the silver cord is severed, meaning death. And you partially control where you go on the different planes of existence with your VS or vibrational state. You can raise or lower your vibration. It was at this point where I had to step back. It was getting too dizzy, and I needed a metaphysical elder myself to explain it. So. Pete, uh-huh. how are you feeling about this? This is a sharp, fun right turn from things that we generally talk about, but I find it fascinating. I'm not sure if I believe it, but I'd like to. What are your sort of thoughts? And when was the last time you had an OBE? <laughs> 
Um, oh, oh, wow. This is not what I expected today. <laughs> yeah. To think about at all. <laughs> right. Uh, I, you know, I, I think that the way it's the way it's hitting me right now is I'm I'm it's sort of the opposite of an anxiety that I actually do think about all the time, which hmm. is like locked in syndrome where you're not trapped out of your body, but you're trapped in it. Right. And uh, but that is I, I mean, I think there's I know that there is more verifiable like science and medicine backing up what's going on with, with locked in syndrome and and with, uh, you know, being paralyzed and existing and communicative, uh, but not being able to move. That is is sort of how I'm I'm visualizing that I'm trapped inside. But if I'm trapped outside, I have that same loss of control. And it does it. It is a an uncomfortable concept for me to think about. It is I can absolutely relate to the genesis of this anxiety and and where it comes from because i think it it's easy to connect to the the fear that comes with with feeling trapped whether you're trapped inside or outside i absolutely relate to it it is you're talking about it stems from a world that is so foreign to me that i right. don't know i don't know how to engage in the metaphysical part because i just am not educated enough in the concepts and conceits to be able to contribute and sure. i worry about that well you should give the internet a try Pete. i did <laughs> that knows all you did say that you were that you had a connection to feeling trapped that is true especially when she said the idea of being trapped in your body while your consciousness is also sort of just hanging around uh trying to get your mother's attention um when you do astral projection correctly it is certainly the opposite of being trapped I found a woman named Erin Pavlina, who's a self-described world-renowned intuitive counselor who has read for thousands of clients worldwide. She describes where you can go during astral travel. So if it goes right and your silver cord is super backed up, uh, how's it working? When you're out of your body, there is more of one plane you can visit. If you stay on the prime material plane, you can just fly around your house or spy on your loved ones. I assume freak out the cat, maybe fly down the street, but you can also move yourself to a higher plane where spirits and angels dwell. Sounds pretty mm. exciting, but that darkness of the universe part. See, that's where I went ahead and met Annie uh, halfway and said, okay, so this is, I'm going to take it that this is real for now. The idea that the universe is smelling out fear and has beasts trying to get you is some HP Lovecraftian stuff. Uh, real quick, as I understand it, the lower astral plane is a repository of the collective evil and fear of humanity, and you need to cross it in order to go to certain other planes. And because you're such a bright shining light, you can attract evil monsters, much like a Pied Piper of nightmares so you have invisible entities feeding on or amplifying your fear and you're trapped in your consciousness maybe if your cord breaks and so there is excitement there again i have to go on the record and say that i don't necessarily believe that this is really happening but i do like the idea it just involves so much existential creepiness for me that because i mean i'm on the record of being a huge fan of horror movies so i like dipping into that side but the idea that there is something very aware in the universe that would like to defeat me i don't care for any of that yeah well i you know i it takes me to um you know head injury or passing out like my experience passing out with needles and things like that like yep. i know that what my 
sort of loose subconscious will do um, is create some things that are in, in my head when I go into that space where I hit my head or I get knocked out or I pass out that the, it's just it, it creates images that are that are very difficult to shake and um, that that is a legit fear and that's what I sort of imagine when you're talking about like Lovecraft and and you know I I, I think about like that one long weekend of uh, where uh, with Mary Shelley kind of a thing you know where they're just let's just uh, oh let's all try to scare each other with stories in a weird castle to, yep. exactly right and um uh, and so I think about those kinds of of experiences that that tap into what um you know what my brain will already let itself do. Uh, when it's unmetered, and maybe that's what—that's mm. a way to to sort of approach this this from something that I don't understand. And I'm with you; I don't know that I I believe in this in this stuff. I'm just not educated in it. I have in my experience in life, I have no evidence that I'm uh, that that it is a that it's a real thing, right? And that's just me not being like exposed to anything that's convinced me otherwise. Sure. Um, so. That's fine. Uh, but I do know what it feels like to get hit on the head. And I know what it feels like to wake <laughs> up and realize that I'm outside of myself. And right. and and that is a result of the the sort of biophysiological conditions of of your brain sloshing around. And, but I and, do know what it feels like to be hit on the head. <laughs> I feel like that's such a sum up for both of us. But yeah. I do know what it feels like to fall over in your bathtub. Okay. But I also know what it feels like to, f- to, to feel the anxiety that comes with something that you don't understand understand right? right or or that and and that's that part is legit like that living with the fear that comes with um uh you know feeling like you're trapped something we absolutely can truck in however we get there right and because you've mentioned a couple times as have i that you don't have as much experience in relating to this and i wanted to sort of maybe come to a close with this segment with it all sort of dovetailed back into anxiety in general for me from something. So this will seem maybe a little bit out there, but then let me sort of connect it back. I found a website called Brainwave Power Music, and they were explaining how to not attract the attention or to fight off evil beings in that lower astral field. And here's sort of what they said. I'm paraphrasing. In order to not attract the attention of those jerks, you have to raise your vibrations to a higher level. That of love, courage, joy, and compassion. Once your frequency is higher, it will be very difficult for most lower vibration entities to see you, let alone reach or affect you. And that's where it all came back to me, because if you strip away words like vibration uh, and frequencies and instead just use words like anxiety or low self-esteem or worry, that fear can destroy your way of life, just like those monsters on the lower levels. But if you're able to keep your attention away from fear and anxiety instead on confidence, surround yourself with things that you love things that bring you joy, then the bad thoughts, or in this case, evil monsters, can't get to you and destroy you. So instead of controlling your vibrations, you can also just try to stay as positive as you can. Remember the good side. Visualize success. In a way, I kind of like how that can be attributed to just anxiety as a whole. And that seems to give me control for something that sometimes, with my anxiety, I feel like is out of my control. What do you think about that, Pete? Whatever it is, whether you're uh, astral projecting, you know, throughout your day or if you're just getting out of bed in the morning, like you have to choose how you're going to present yourself to the world. Right. You're yes. we, we use the word vibration. It's it is it is your influence on the world or the <laughs> 
astral plane, I guess. Yeah. That that is that's what matters. And more importantly, the how you're presenting yourself to yourself. Again, if this is about anxiety yeah. and internal kind of uh feelings, that the more you can stay positive, the more that you can surround yourself with good thoughts, of yeah. course, that's the uh that keeps the anxiety monsters out of the way. So keep your cords tight, everybody. And keep your cords tight, everybody. When you leave your apartment, <laughs> also tie like a little string. <laughs> to yourself. A, that'll help you get back to your place and B, I don't know. I think it just seems adorable. I remember when we were staring photo Don't forget the way you look me in the eyes Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Today's tune is Lovely Peace by Day Fox. No, I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week right here on What's That Smell? Don't forget the way you look me in the eyes And I keep you in my heart And my heart is where you are I still think of you, I want